Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Tyler Clements. Tyler is the founder of Surveyor Sports Management, where he serves as managing director and as athlete manager or agent for those of you that are unfamiliar with the title for some of the most notable trail and ultra runners in our sport. I was really excited to have this conversation with Tyler because it was an opportunity to shed light on another point of view in the athlete sponsor landscape. We talk about his background as an athlete manager, what it looks like on a day-to-day basis to represent and work with pro trail runners, whether it makes financial and career sense to work with an athlete manager or agent. Uh, We talk about insights into the recruitment and negotiation process with brands, whether athlete contract sizes are growing right now, how much of a factor age and injury play in the renegotiation process, uh, whether it makes more sense to stick with one brand or to move around in your career, and so much more. Tyler struck me as someone who cares deeply about his craft and the role he plays helping athletes navigate their pro careers. So if you're a pro athlete or an aspiring pro athlete, there's a lot of new information to get out of this conversation. And even if you're just a fan of the sport like myself and you're interested in these behind the scenes experiences, this is a really illuminating episode. Before we get started though, this episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, Kodiak Cakes, and Inside Tracker. Use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout to get 20% off Gnarly products. Use code SINGLETRACK15 to get 15% off Kodiak products. And go to insidetracker.com backslash singletrack to get 20% off your next order of their products. With that, let's get started. Tyler Clements, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. How's it going, Finn? I'm glad to be here. It's going good. And, you know, the topics that we're about to cover today, I think longtime listeners of the show know I am super interested in. It's just been a rabbit hole I have been diving deeper and deeper into. And I think what makes this conversation unique today is for a long time, we've been covering the athlete sponsor relationship. To date, we've only spoken with athlete managers and some current and retired athletes themselves. We've We've never delved yet into your area of, of involvement, and that's uh, the agent side of things. So uh, maybe we start with just a little bit of background in your interests in trail running and the athletes in our sport and, and what you do. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, Finn. I know that you know agents aren't very public and there's not many conversations out there that you can find talking about these types of uh, things that are going on in running or outdoor sports in general um, and i i kind of like that i i'm not very public in, in anything that i do i like to stay behind the scenes i like to put the athletes um, forward first but you know since I have noticed a couple of brand managers come on your podcast and there are a lot of other voices out there. And I hear a lot of people talking about pay these days and who's making what and you know which deal happened that I thought it might be you know beneficial to add my two cents, throw my two cents in the pot. So um, you know, this is not something I normally do, but you know I like your podcast. I, I appreciate you reaching out. And uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Um, to answer your question about what I like about trail running, 
uh, I was an athlete growing up. I was an athlete in high school. I played basketball, played a little bit in college, nothing special, a small D3 school. Um, I actually quit halfway through college because we had 5 a.m. practices at a D3 school. And I was like, this is ridiculous. What am I doing with my life? And I was living in up, upstate New York at the time. And there was a beautiful rail trail right off of campus. And I started running and I was like, hey, this is so much easier. I can run much farther when I'm not running on the road. I'm, I'm getting a lot of fulfillment from this. I'm really enjoying this. So, you know, I'd get out of class and I'd go run five miles and then I'd go run six miles and seven miles and 10 miles. And I was, I was kind of loving it. And I was oblivious to anything going on in Europe about mountain running or just the sport in general it was not on my radar at all. Um, so, um, I went, I graduated college and I, uh, I got my first job in advertising through a friend and, uh, I started working in sports. So I represented, you know, industry shifting brands, General Motors, Boeing, uh, you know, household names. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. Got a lot of experience. Uh, it was fun working in sports, uh, negotiating sports partnerships, things like that. Um, but eventually I got jaded by the big budgets and the large teams and how cumbersome all the processes were. And I was looking for something a little bit more fulfilling, a little bit more, uh, a little bit something where I could have a little bit more of an impact. So I, I, I decided that I, I needed to start my own business. And, and that's eventually what I did. Just so we have some definitions for listeners out there that are interested, but maybe unfamiliar with the space you work in, when when you think of like the term athlete management, or you think of the term sports agent as it pertains to trail running, what goes into that? Like what, what's involved in the work you do on behalf of athletes? Well, I think there are a lot of misconceptions on what agents or athlete managers do. I think some people have this idea that we help negotiate deals and then we just disappear. And maybe that's what some agents do. Maybe that's what most agents do. I actually don't know that many other agents or athlete managers. I don't, we don't talk to each other and meet up at the bar and, and, and chat. So I don't know if that's actually accurate or not, but that's certainly not what I do. Athlete management to me is a, a huge commitment. It's it's the ultimate professional commitment to a partner. And it's not to be taken lightly. And it does not just involve negotiating deals or sourcing opportunities. It is all encompassing. It changes every single day. I could sit here and rattle off a bunch of things that I do to help paint a picture. Um, but depending on the athlete, depending on the sport, depending on the time of the year, it's constantly changes. Mm. It, it constantly changes. The only thing that is consistent is that, you know, in the fall and at the end of the year, yeah, we're all sitting down like, okay, what deals need to be renewed? You know, what uh, sports equipment sponsors are you interested in working with next year? Um, you know, should you, you know, go out and test this piece of equipment? Should we reach out to these people? That is fairly consistent and, and does not change from year to year. But this, this industry and this landscape is constantly evolving. And 
the obligations of athletes are growing, uh, mm. which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think some athletes should look at that as an opportunity. It can be a little daunting to think about for some people who are not savvy in these other areas, aside from training and racing. But it's athlete management is a is a big thing, and it, it's not to be taken lightly in a nutshell. Well, here on this show, we are obsessed with the figurative frontier, whether it's in technology or relationships or performance. And from what I got there, it sounds like you you define the term agent in broader terms. So maybe maybe we do go a little bit down the rabbit hole. Of like, what are maybe two or three concrete things you do for athletes that um, might surprise listeners that have a maybe older definition or concept of what an agent does in terms of like just the negotiation piece? I don't even like that word agent. It doesn't even sound nice. Sorry. It's like a dirty Banish word. it from this convo. <laughs> no, it happens all the time. I I work with athletes and I usually put forth, you know, athlete manager and then they, you know, send an email, CC me like, Hey, I'm introducing you to my agent. And I'm like, I cringe, you know, it's just I don't know, something about it just doesn't sound nice. You think of Jeremy Piven and that HBO show or something like that. Yes, or yes. Some other stereotypical version of it. Yeah, Ari Gold. Um, so you were asking, like, what what exactly does it encompass? That that broader definition that I'm that I'm kind of uh, just trying to describe here. Um, well, first and foremost, it's it's short and long term goals and establishing those. It's career planning. Depending on the athlete, it's establishing a, a brand as as unpleasant as that may be to hear to some athletes. It's it's developing that brand creatively, aesthetically, uh, so that it's consistent. Uh, it's it's carving out uh, outlets for communication, whether it's a podcast or a blog or uh, new ways to to have more engaging communication on social media. Uh, it can be creating websites, uh, mm. connecting them with web developers, things like that. Mm. It's, it's sitting down and helping them identify what the biggest decisions of their career will be. Sometimes it's expanding into a similar but different sport or discipline. Sometimes it's, you know, changing from a 50K to a 100 miler. Sometimes it's racing in Europe versus coming back to the States and doing more racing there. Strategic uh, decisions like that are very, very important. It's figuring out what their personality and their identity is. That kind of fits yeah. into the brand line item that I was talking about before. You know, if, if you're kind of this badass rock star, you know, I don't think you're a good fit for, you know, the family friending shoe company. You know, you're more, you're a better fit for like Satisfy or the emerging brand. So, it, you know, th those are like obvious examples, but they can be a little bit more, the, the, the margins and the, the lines can be very thin sometimes uh, for runners, especially. Um, it's it's 
figuring out goals on, on what, how much do you need to compete next year? Uh, yeah. How much salary? What what equipment do you need? How much travel do you need? Um, you know, what are your performance goals? Um, what would be the best partners that align with those goals? Uh, then it would be, you know, sourcing opportunities and sponsorships or endorsement deals with those partners um, and, and reaching out to them. And uh, I would say the biggest piece of advice that I can give to athletes, not just in running, but in any sport, is that when you do engage and you find out that, you know, a sponsor is interested in working with you, you know, sit down and put down on paper in your agreements exactly what your expectations are. Don't just sign an agreement or enroll in, in a program that they have. Tailor it with them collaboratively and come up with an agreement that you're really proud of and that you plan on sticking to, to a T. And make a big day out of signing off on that agreement and print it out and mm. stick it on your cork board or put it in your binder, put it on your desk and reference it and do everything that you said you were going to do and, and some and a little bit more. And if you do that and you, you'll, you'll be able to have more fun and explore that area of being a friend and having a, a deeper relationship with your brand managers or anyone else that you're working with on the product development team because there won't be any issues. There's no confusion on what's to be expected or what will be done. It's all there down on paper. You guys talked about it. You worked it out. You're following it. You're tracking it. Uh, it, it makes for a much healthier and more well-rounded relationship. And then when the agreement is up for renewal, it's like you showed up to school every day. It's like you showed up to work on time every single day and you'll have much more leverage and you'll find that your sponsors are much more agreeable for your, with your, around your discussions for growing the, the relationship. Um, and frankly, you can hold them accountable a little bit more than you might be if, Hey, you, you missed this, you missed this item. You never did that. This was two months late. So if, if an athlete's listening in any sport, I'd say that is the biggest piece of advice that I could give them. It's if you do that, your relationships will be in great standing. You'll stay with the same partners year after year after year. Both sides will be very, very happy. And it's, it's a recipe for success. Um, I, Unfortunately, see, not with the athletes that I work with, uh, just a quick disclaimer, anything that I'm talking about is not pertaining to any runners that you might find out that I work with or anything like that. This is, these are trends or, you know, um, insights that I'm gathering, not just in running, but across a variety of outdoor sports. So just a quick disclaimer. Um, well, I'd like to say I forgot what I was um, going to say. Yeah, yeah let on. me step in just for a second. I think, well, first of all, I appreciate all of that. And I think your answer is probably going to surprise 
a lot of listeners, myself included, um, because I think, again, we have a really static understanding of what the agent does. And again, I'm sorry to use that term, uh, athlete manager, um, moving forward, but a lot of the value adds that you listed there, those have really long-term implications of the athletes. It's, I mean, what came to mind for me is like an investment strategy for your future self. Like you talked about standing side by side with them and thinking about and establishing and developing a brand for them. And, um, like shout out Dylan Bowman. He's someone that comes to mind, like father time is undefeated in our sport. And he is obviously still a competitive athlete internationally, but he's been on the record saying like part of the vision for free trail is a way that I can stay relevant and be productive and, and give back in and around the sport of trail and ultra running. And, um, it sounds like you take a similar approach with your athletes. And so I just wanted to say that, and I know we can talk about that at length more, but the reason I bring all that up too is because I, I want to identify the elephant in the room for our listeners, which is like, when I talk to a lot of athletes in my own community, they're like, yeah, an agent sounds amazing. But like the contract offer I just got was for like five grand for a year. And agents take like 15 to 20% cut. And that leaves me with like 3,500 or four grand. Like, is it worth it? And like your answer actually made me think it is because it's not just about that like single year. It's about what you can create for them in the long term. But how do you typically respond to that common concern that, uh, at least in the short term, it might not make financial sense. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. And to be honest, it doesn't always make sense. You know, I, there have been athletes that have reached out, not just in running, but in other sports as well, where I appreciated them reaching out, but I did not feel like I could help or that I might actually restrict their growth or prevent them from getting everything that they need in order to race or to perform or to create this film project and that they can go out and do it on their own, do it on their own. Sometimes they just need the confidence or the person to use as a soundboard and bounce things off of. Mm -hmm. So, I do work with a couple of athletes, not exclusively or just on a, a consulting basis. And generally those are folks that enjoy being highly involved in the business side of their career. And they're interested in getting good at it. They just need a little bit of guidance and confidence and reassurance, uh, when it, in preparation for having those tough calls and those tough conversations and things like that. But yes, it, it doesn't always make sense. It's something that I need to consider, you know, like what is their, their value? I hate to call it a marketplace, but what is their value in this marketplace and what is their trajectory? And, you know, aside from their talent and race results or, or film projects that they put out, like, you know, like how can I help them and where is this going? Uh, what other elements uh, are they bringing to the sport? So it's, it's a very long and complex formula that goes into making these decisions. Is this a great person to work with? Do I have the bandwidth? Am I, 
have too much on my desk right now. It's, it's very complicated and sometimes it comes down to just a gut feeling. That's definitely the case, but I would encourage anyone who's either, you know, a rising star or, uh, you know, uh, a middle of the pack athlete, uh, for lack of a better phrase, to, to still reach out to someone like myself or anyone else in this field and just have a chat because I'm more than happy to chat with anyone and, you know, help guide them even in just one phone call on, on what I think they should do or, or improvements that they could make or um, just install a little bit of confidence in them in order for them to go out there and represent themselves. Uh, because that's def definitely one avenue that they can take. There's a, a lot of benefits for an athlete representing themselves. And there's a lot of benefits to having or working with an athlete manager. Uh, you know, to be frank, when you're cold calling a sponsor to find out they want to work with you next season, they don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to the, the talented athlete. So I might already have a relationship, which is often the case. So, it, you know, I they may pick up my phone calls, but you know, they, they're still much more excited to hear from the athletes. So uh, that's one upside of going out and representing yourself. Um, and it's, it's always, it's not a bad option, you know? So I don't think that's yeah. necessarily a, a negative. No, I, I appreciate you painting that picture of, uh, you know, the value and, and what's possible if you decide to go at it alone. But I'm, st I'm still going back to like, you know, those, those like I'll call them workshops that you do with your athletes where like you're thinking about, Hey, where do you want to be in the sport in five years? Where do you want to be in the sport in 10 years? What are some things that you can do to, for example, outlive your athletic potential? Maybe you're somebody that's interested in like fashion and you want to create like an e-commerce line uh, for athletes, you know, at the, at the tail end of your career or something like that. Like that to me uh, is, it, and again, I talk with a lot of athletes that doesn't seem like a very common conversation in the sports. So I'm really glad you, you're, uh, you're doing that with your athletes. You're thinking about their future selves, like truly their future selves somewhere down the line. It's, it's one of the important big decisions that I was referencing earlier. From day one that I'm working with an athlete, I began thinking about what that might look like because athletes have short careers and often it boils down to the peak of their career or the apex of their career where, you know, they have a, a bunch of good years. So no matter how much money you make, I mean, you could be making seven figures. You still need to have a game plan for what you're going to do when you retire. And it's not something that you can decide or explore after you retire. You need to start thinking about that now. And the, the core of what I do is facilitate and maintain and grow their sponsor or brand relations. But what's even more important than that is, yeah, finding out what are those potential independent streams of revenue or opportunities that you are going to be relying on and dependent on in the future. 
you know, are you going to create your own bike frames and start your own equipment company? Are you going to create a podcast and generate sponsor revenue from the podcast and establish a, a, a permanent foothold in this industry? Are you going to, you know, maybe get behind the camera and start filming and photographing, you know, folks in your sport and profiling them? There's, there's so many different things that you can do. And I agree with you. Dylan's a great example. He's, he's killing it. He's so good for this sport. And, you know, you, he, he's, yeah, he's a runner, but he's doing everything else that he's doing is, is so beneficial to, to everyone involved as well. You know, he's announcing, he's doing his podcast. He's, he, he's a great example of what's possible. Killian too, with with the normal brand. Love it. I think his shoes dropped today that we're, yeah. we're talking. Yeah. And I I really like his uh, environmentally conscious approach too. I have a ton of respect for that, and I'm glad to see that coming from an athlete. Uh, another very important part of my work with athletes is leaning into the product development and taking advantage of, you know, their voice and getting in the ears of their sponsors and influencing them on advancing, not just the product, the, the, not just the performance of the equipment, but the environmental impact of the equipment and the potential for athletes to collaborate with, engineers or product developers or the, the potential for them to collaborate with scientists uh, are are massive they they all need each other in order for us to plan for a, a volatile world where going out in the mountains is going to mean something much more serious in 10 20 years i mean it's already happening now there's crazy stuff going on in the world and you know, we're starting to see it. And that's an area that's going to be increasingly important over the years and something that I'm very aware of and uh, a very important, a very important part of the work that I, I try to do. I want to ask this question in a way that benefits athletes that might not be interested in um, having an athlete manager, but they they should still know what, what they're, what they're going up against. And in this kind of would be reflective of your own negotiation style. Can you give, what do you imagine? Like when, when an athlete goes into a negotiation process with a brand, what do you imagine they may not be asking or doing in that process uh, that would otherwise serve themselves if they did like better, like they would be getting more out of the process. That's a really good question. Not many athletes inquire, what are your marketing plans for next year? They, they may touch upon like, do you have new shoes coming out? Or is there a new bike coming out? Or new glasses coming out? They're, they're very good about asking about the product generally. But it's good and helpful to ask about their marketing plans, their strategy. Are you rebranding? Uh, are you bringing on other athletes? 
Are you expanding your team or reducing your team? There's, there are no bad questions. I, I would say aim for quantity of questions. Have patient, long conversations. Don't rush. Have multiple calls talking about these types of things and these topics with, with potential sponsors. Mm. Um, when it comes to negotiating and the actual terms of the agreement that you're uh, exploring, uh, you know, I would say put forth a, a proposal that shares your best ideas and your best game plan and make it a collaborative process. Unfortunately, a lot of times I see brands opt not to get on the call and chat. I oftentimes see, hey, send over a proposal. And that's kind of, uh, that's, I, don't, I don't think that's ideal. I think it's better to get on a call and have a, a conversation about what the parties can do together, how they can knock it out of the park. Uh, so if they say, you know, send over a proposal, you know, put together some bullets that detail exactly what you are willing to provide and what you need in return and add a lot of context to it. Um, build some depth into it. Talk about why you want to do it and where you, where you want it to go in, in, the, in the following years. Do you want to have a long-term relationship? Talk in detail about the product, how much you love it. Uh, definitely point out any things that you don't like about the product. Um, in general, I would I would just go for volume and quantity. Just you know, don't try to rush things along or move quickly. Be patient. You know, talk at length with these uh, potential uh, sponsors and um, make sure that you know. They're, they're a good fit. So I don't, I'm not sure if that answers your question or not. No, it, it does answer the question. And I just have a few follow-ups. Um, I just heard this story about LeBron James that I think is relevant for the next question. Uh, it was like the day after he graduated high school and um, Reebok just comes knocking at his door. And uh, one of their representatives comes in and just drops a $10 million check on his lap and says, Hey, here's an endorsement deal. Like, let's start working together. And I think LeBron is well known for being just like throughout his life, this magically uh, mature human being, like like precociously mature. And he's just like, hmm, if Reebok is offering me $10 million, what does that mean Nike's willing to offer me or Adidas or Converse or any of these other marquee brands in the sport? And the reason why I tell that story is I'm wondering if there's a culture in our sport that you've noticed of athletes sort of taking the first offer they get as opposed to um, pushing back either on that offer or shopping around the market. Do you, do you see that or do you see that as lacking among uh, the runners that you just know? It varies. I, I see kind of the whole spectrum. What I'd say is that yeah, I mean, if someone comes and just puts a ten million dollar contract and he does, immediately a red flag goes off. Like, who does that? Like, that's not how you do business. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I guess they're trying to get his attention. Running, but you know, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but there is such thing as over negotiating or being overpaid. Like that's that's actually an issue that absolutely no one is talking about out in the world. Really? If you're an athlete who is out there and you know trying to you know uh you know, get some sponsors it's no one would be aware of it i mean yeah if you think about it in order for an athlete to be successful both parties need to be happy if there's an imbalance the relationship will not continue past one year so if you twist their arm if you overpromise if you throw up smoke and mirrors and you think you're successfully negotiating some incredible deal, the trick's on you because it's going to last one year and then you're going to be stuck trying to get another sponsor late in the year. You might not be able to get one. A brand might not you know, want to rebrand you as their athlete, which is a whole nother uh you know complication of switching primary sports equipment sponsors uh so you have to be very careful uh i I think it's rare i'm I'm not saying like this is like a a huge issue that's going on in the industry it's you know you have to be uh wildly um misleading in order to you know actually over negotiate or secure a salary that's just probably too high for you um but i think some athletes don't consider that and i think it's helpful even just to talk about that because you do have to make sure that your sponsors are happy that it's working for them that they're seeing a return on their investment because you know jim collins is 20 mile march have you ever heard about that you know about the no. two Jim Collins is a, a, a business author I read in grad school and he has this concept called the 20 mile march. And I apologize in advance if I'm not describing this correctly, but I'll try. And the analogy is, you know, there's two different teams of explorers that are heading to the South pole. And one is very ambitious and, you know, they try to do 60 to 80 miles a day. And the other party is like, nope, we're just going to do 20 miles every single day. Even if we feel good at the end of the day, we're just going to stop, set up camp, and, you know. And the way the story goes is that the aggressive and the ambitious party drops dead 10 miles before they reach the South Pole. And the uh, 20 mile marchers, you know, successfully, you know, get to the South Pole and win the race. It's a great analogy for trail runners, <laughs> but if you look, if you apply that to your relationships with sponsors, you know, 20 miles each year adds up to way more than 60 to 80 miles in just one year. So you, the most fruitful relationships will be long-term relationships that slowly grow each year where both parties are mutually gaining uh, equally um, out of the sponsorship or the relationship or whatever is included in the agreement. And 
you have to keep that in mind when you're negotiating and you're coming up with these proposals. Uh, it's it's got to be well balanced. So oftentimes, I think athletes will be trying to balance it just so that it is fair. Uh, they won't be negotiating to reduce their salary so that it's fair. That that'll rarely, rarely happen. But it's something to keep in mind for sure. We. I'm reminded of this question. Uh, we do see athletes bounce around from sponsors a fair bit in the sport. Uh, does what you're say does does what you're saying there lend any credibility to the idea that like if you hear someone like Max King who's been with Solomon now for I have to imagine like at least ten years, probably like fifteen years. Do you stand to benefit more from a career standpoint if you're if you're lo- if you're loyal to one brand or you I shouldn't say loyal but like you find ways to continue to work together and evolve together over the course of uh, each side's careers? Yeah, I mean, there's there's huge benefits to that. Um, you know, mainly just what I was describing, but it, it is common to change. I would not advise anyone to have conversations. Um, consider uh, other opportunities over the you know their ten year uh, period with any one partner. Um, I'm sorry, can you kind of explain your question again? Oh well, I'm, I'm just I'm just curious, especially not necessarily with the athletes that you work with in trail running because I know that you're involved in other sports too, like mountain biking, but if I'm an athlete and I'm trying to plan out how my career is going to go from a sponsorship standpoint, from a monetary perspective, do I stand to earn more if I work with a single brand over the course of my career? Or is there more opportunity if um, maybe I work with like Brooks for two years and then Solomon for three years and then Nike for four years and, and there's not much continuity, but I'm, I'm kind of bouncing. I see what you're saying. Every athlete, every sponsor, every relationship is different. So it's it's tough to generalize. I would lean more towards, yes, there is more to gain from staying with the same sponsor over time. I I feel pretty comfortable saying that. (laughs) There's definitely exceptions. But that's in a vacuum. You have to consider the evolution of the product of the equipment maybe your your shoes maybe you're getting stress fractures left and right and these shoes you know there's other variables that will come into play but in a vacuum yes because trust is very important familiarity is very important think about it if if you i don't know if you're married or have a girlfriend or something like that but if you have a girlfriend and you're with her for 10 years and you win the lottery, or how much money would you instantly give to your girlfriend of 10 years versus your girlfriend of, of one month? Uh, right. If she said, you know, I, I want to go on a, a fancy vacation. You just won the lottery. Help me out how much would you give your girlfriend of 10 years versus your girlfriend of one month? That's a, obviously an exaggerated example, but 
working with brands over a long period of time, you accrue a lot of history, uh, a great, strong, trustful working relationship. If you want to do a film project and you ask your sponsor of 10 years, like, hey, I want to do this big idea. It's going to be awesome. Like, how much can you help out with? You're going to get a better answer out of them versus the new sponsor that you've never done a film project with. Or uh, if you want to do your own colorway, the shoe, a special release, the new sponsor is going to be, they're going to be like, slow down. Like, let's, let's do this first and that first. So you lose a lot of momentum. You have to rebuild a lot of trust. So you have to weigh that against all the other variables. If your shoe, if your if your feet are just falling apart in these shoes, do what you got to do. But there's a lot of value in sticking with the same partners, even if you're having some rough air, even if there's some tough periods. If you can get through it, you're all that much closer, and the relationship is all that much stronger uh, on the other side. And that's where really powerful relationships uh, are built uh, when you can get through that adversity, when sponsors stick with athletes after having massive injuries or frankly, just not great race results. You know, when they show that support, like I'm not going anywhere, you know, you can count on us. And then they come through two years later and win CCC or whatever. That's where the really powerful meaningful relationships happen and that can be shared with the public that's a story that can be told and yeah that's it's those all fall under the benefits of sticking with a sponsor for a long period of time so again back to the misconceptions of agents we think we're we're out here hey this guy's gonna pay you 10 percent more let's go that's not happening um, maybe other agents are doing it but it's really got to be worth it in order to pull an athlete away from one sponsor and go to a new, a new one. It makes total sense. And, and the reason I ask is, uh, I, I was talking with Solomon's North American trail athlete manager, Steph Gardner, and she used the example of Max King, who's been there for forever at this point now. And I think he's built up so much equity and goodwill in the, in the company. And he's so respected by his peers she said something to the effect of Max could walk into Solomon Corporate's headquarters any day and be like, hey, uh, I'd like to take XYZ position or become like the new athlete manager or something like that. And they're just like, yeah, we've just seen his body of work over all of those years and how much he's given to the brand and to the sport. And like, so I think that that illustrates your words perfectly. Like some, some an athlete like him that's just had staying power. Um, but for sure, I, that's definitely a consideration. Yeah. I want to, and I forgot to ask a follow up earlier. I wanted to come back when we were talking about, um, like how athletes can prepare for conversations with brands and what, and the questions they should be asking and how they should be negotiating. You had mentioned, um, you know, taking the initiative to send a proposal their way and, or like a deck or something of that sort. And the question I have here is, what, how do athletes 
ahead of time determine their worth. Like when they're putting a proposal together and they're starting to put like real numbers uh, on, you know, on, on paper, um, how do they ballpark it? Like, how do they know that their contract should be five grand? Like they should be asking for five grand or 15 grand or, or 25 grand. Like, are there any uh, uh, factors that they should be aware of when they're thinking about this? Yeah. Well, first off, you don't need to put a price tag on a proposal. I would advise athletes to identify who they want to work with, brands they really like, product they really like, companies that they think are cool, and come up with a game plan and a proposal that they think would be mutually beneficial. Maybe share it with them without even a price tag on it and say, hey, like, um, I'm sure we could work something out. Yeah, this is this is the the plan. I'd love to execute with you. Uh, I'm interested in hearing your input. Uh, any adjustments you might want to make? Yeah. How about we get on a call and talk about it? We can figure out compensation later. I think that shows a real genuine interest in in working with uh, a potential sponsor and a good way to do it. Uh, and a good way to do it while you're just having these conversations for the first time and you don't really know the market or how much you were paid last year and things like that. Another good way of getting your value in this market, I hate to say it, but um, it applies, is to do a couple of tests. You know, design your own stickers and sell them on your website use a you know a promo code in your stories uh, measure clicks uh, through your stories collect data find out how potent your social media channels are um, collect that information organize it share it with sponsors and they will be able to calculate especially if it's like an over-the-counter you know, product, uh, what, uh, the return on their ad spend would be. And I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of established athletes out there that just have never done it. Uh, if you're just getting started, I think that's a, a great thing to do because, a sponsor will increase their level of support more easily if you're able to show them like, Hey, there's 250 runners clicking on my links. Like, you know, do the math essentially in a polite way. <laughs> it sounds, sounded mean the way it rolled off my tongue, but yeah, you, you, there is math that can be done uh, for those over the counter brands that are not so much interested in branding. Uh, they're more interested in simply moving product, especially the nutrition guys. It's what they're doing. They're just moving product. Uh, they have to justify a return. Uh, uh, they have to just uh, justify an ad spend and see a return. Um, so some of the I primary promise. sports equipment sponsors, they're, they're really just making a splash. They're branding. Obviously, they want to shell equipment, but uh, it's not the sole driver in, in their decisions and who they sponsor. I was just going to say to echo how good your idea is. I think it creates a case study for the athlete, right? Like when they come to the brand, they already have uh, essentially proof of work 
uh, to show them. And I'm, I'm, I do handle sponsorships a little bit with, with this podcast and I've, I've never taken the brands up on the offer, but I have been extended those like, let's run a trial pay-per-click campaign, or we'll pay you a percentage of, uh, the price of a customer acquired in exchange for, and we'll do that for like, I don't know, five or six episodes. And then we'll look at the numbers and see if, if there's a relationship to, to be had moving forward. But, um, that makes sense to me. I guess it's a great short-term option. I I don't think it's a good long-term option or it's not suitable for high value real estate, if you will, you know, great boasts or, you know, uh, you know, logo placement on your Jersey or whatever. It's, you know, if you have a website, it's in the background, you know, there's people clicking on it. Maybe it's, it's a good idea. Uh, it's a great way to test and calculate your own value. Uh, what I would say is to be aware of is there's a lot of brands out there just saying, Hey, we want to do a test or why don't, why don't we just try, you know, one or two posts and see where, and it's okay. Sometimes maybe when you're starting out, but I would encourage athletes to put their foot down and, um, you know, make sure that there's a, a little bit more of a, a time period for the the relationship. And it's not, you know, them just uh, slash and burning through athletes and Instagram yeah. accounts and stuff like that. Yeah. When it, when it does, when it, when the conversation and I think I agree with you there, like, like coming in, you know, when you're starting the relationship, coming in, just thinking about like the value you provide that, that makes sense to me when the, when the conversation ultimately does get to compensation, um, let's say an athlete doesn't heed your advice here and, and try some of these, these things to, to demonstrate value or their worth. Um, how does an athlete generate a number in their head to give to the brand as an initial offer or like how would Some you do it with your athlete? A good place to start is figuring out what you need. Everybody's different. If you want to talk about runners, some runners want to go travel across the world. It gets expensive. You're going to need more money. Maybe you want to be a little bit more frugal and just race in the States rack up some wins, something like that, you're, you're not going to need as much. So you, you need to have a good idea of what you need to live. Maybe you have four kids and you need to support them and you need more uh, cash, frankly. Hmm. You have to factor in all these variables. So come up with that, figure out what that is. And run that through a filter of how badly do you want to work with this brand? How good of a fit is this brand? Maybe have a conversation with them so that they know what the long-term expectations are. Like, okay, you can't pay me X amount this year, but you know, we'll do this this year. But just so that we're on the same page, like this is where I want to be in three years. This is where I want to be in five years. So, if you don't think we can get there, even if everything is going well, 
maybe it's not a good idea for us to even start. Um, after a couple of years, you're going to have a very good sense of what what your value is and what you need to compete or be a professional athlete or travel and all those different things. So I, the only thing I would advise against is like, don't pick a number out of thin air. Don't go off of what you're hearing on group runs or in the pack. There's a lot of people out there saying, oh, this company is making so much money. There's this COVID boom, blah, blah, blah. There's so much of that going on. Talk to your friends, your family. Talk to a manager or someone who knows what they're talking about to come up with a real value that's mutually beneficial to both you and the sponsor that's realistic. Uh, get that line of sight uh, for room for growth. Have those conversations with your sponsors. Don't pick a number out of thin air. If you listen to people <laughs> out, out on the road or, or listen to rumors, you're going to be misled because when it comes down to it, no one knows all of the details of any of these agreements going on in these rumors. You know, mm. There might be one runner being paid a million dollars, but what what is their agreement? Do they can they name his children? Like, <laughs> what did he <laughs> what did he promise? There might be a runner making one thousand dollars, but maybe that was to tag them once in an Instagram story. Like, those are again those are huge exaggerations, but. No one knows the details of what is agreed upon in private and yeah. they should not make decisions on what they're hearing out in, in the world or, or from rumors. And to take that or to go off on a tangent on that, you know, there is a, a strategic time and a place for doing small deals or, or reducing the, the capacity uh, of the work that you do with the sponsor. If it's, you know, if it makes sense to make it easy for you to maintain, you know, if you think, hey, I don't want to overcommit with all these obligations for this amount of pay, like let's reduce the amount of pay, reduce the uh, obligations here so that I'm free for one a more fruitful opportunity arises or so that I'm free to start my own podcast and, you know, monetize that if that's what you want to do, you know, so there are times where you're going to want to reduce um, the the scale of whatever that, that sponsor that relationship is. I feel like I'm talking about negotiating against yourself a lot here. That's, that's not, what happens often. I just think those are things that no one else is talking about. And I think everyone is just, regardless of who you are, you know, you sit down to negotiate in your best interest to, to make gains. Um, that's just like human nature. Uh, I think people right. are missing the benefits to, to pump the brakes sometimes. Uh, so I, I just think it's worth bringing up. No, I appreciate that. I think 
And with, with this next question, I'm, I'm of course acknowledging that you only have access to so much information in our sport, but in your opinion, how much of a gap is there between what the brands are willing to give and what the athletes are asking for and ultimately get? Like, do you think that there's a significant gap there or do you think that the market is pretty efficient and both sides are, are getting a pretty square deal? It's really tough to kind of paint with a broad stroke here because you don't want to like leave people out in the cold. You know, if a, if a running, if a runner is just getting started or if, you know, runners are coming off of a really tough years, you know, there might, they might be more willing to make compromises. Uh, there might be a much larger gap than, you know, where they'd hope they'd be, but they're still happy to have support. So you want to keep those conversations possible, open, and you still want the possibility to do that. Um, when it comes to head-to-toe sponsors in running, in cycling, and any other outdoor sport, I think some sponsors are out there making it a point to pay a living wage, a de- decent living wage. I don't think all of them are doing in running. It. Across across sports, I think there are mm. some that understand like, hey, we're taking up a lot of categories here. They're very limited with the other, um, you know, partners that they can go out and get to support themselves and to make a living. So we have to, you know, take care of them. Some of them are doing that. Some are not. Uh, but again, the, it's a very, it's kind of fuzzy. There's this gray area well, where, you know, it's a good thing that, you know, they're willing to offer some level of the sport for someone they might not generally support at all. Uh, I think what we have to keep our eyes on is that as the sport is growing year after year after year after year after year, and the industry is more and more profitable. These events are getting more uh, bigger and bigger that it has to grow proportionally when it comes to uh, compensation and support in general. So uh, I think it would be great for the industry for more sponsors, especially the head to go head to toe guys to make sure that they're paying a good living wage and providing athletes with everything that they need. And I think, you know, it would be great if they could also consider like, hey, this industry is growing a lot. These athletes are the reasons why it's happening. You know, they they deserve this level of this higher level of the support and they should be growing, you know, with the primary sports equipment brands and all the companies involved in this industry, including the events. So. I think One thing I, I think I'm there is in. yeah go ahead. Oh sorry. Well, I was just going to say because <clears throat> you mentioned uh the proportionality piece like as our sport gets bigger and there's more money coming into it that uh it's not just uh owners that are being rewarded but like you know people on the ground the workers the athletes are are getting a piece of that too. Are you as the sport is growing are you seeing 
contract sizes increase at every single level of pro athlete, or are you seeing stasis or maybe even a scenario where like, uh, the best of the best are getting rewarded, but it's, it's still the same old, same old for like a mid tier elite or lower tier elite athlete. There's definitely a big gap between, you know, the point five per top 0.5% of athletes and everybody else. It's not unique to the running industry. It's that's, you know, for every company in finance or it's, it's just like a salary thing that, you know, the, the top get paid way more than everybody else. Um, so I, I do see that. And, uh, I, sorry, i could you repeat the, the rest of your question? <laughs> oh, I was just, I was just curious. And I, I apologize. I have a habit sometimes of asking a lot in a single question, but, uh, are, are you are you seeing pro athletes at every single rung of the ladder being proportionally compensated as the sport grows and as more money flows in, or are only certain types of pro athletes like the very best uh, seeing their contract sizes increase during this period? It's hard to say. I I'm not sure. I feel comfortable. Because it's just my perspective. There's so many different perspectives in this industry. Yeah. And, you know, I don't work with a huge sample size to, to make that call. I can only give you my perspective, really. And in that perspective, I, I do see it happening a little. Uh, I think everyone acknowledges that the sport is growing and athletes need more support. And frankly, I think the athletes are asking for it. You know, I think they're getting better about it, especially this year. You know, you know they're piping up and saying, "Hey, <laughs> come on! Like you guys, you guys need us." They they understand that now. They're they got a good grasp on that. What's really interesting to me is I see a lot of parallels between gravel cycling and trail running. There are two sports that are growing incredibly fast and the u.s mm. is seeing a lot of that growth or the u.s is where a lot of that growth is happening and i do think there are increasingly more fruitful opportunities for athletes in both of those sports and it's uh very exciting to be working with athletes in those sports because you know, as I may have said before, like the culture is is shaping here in the U.S. for for both of those sports, and mm -hmm. it's very malleable. So the athletes that are involved can play a part and install culture and changes that will last for decades, possibly for you know for for many 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 years to come. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's an exciting time to be an athlete in those sports. You mentioned gravel biking there, which is super interesting. And I know we've talked at points in this conversation about how a lot of athletes, a lot of media people like myself, a lot of brands, they operate in the vacuum of running <clears throat> because you have the, the opportunity to negotiate contracts for athletes across different sports. 
is there anything you're seeing from a deal making perspective or from a, from a contract standpoint that you find very interesting in other sports that you wish were more common or considered by the by brands in the running world? Are you talking about ways that athletes might be compensated or the list of deliverables or expectations? What exactly are, are you? It could be anywhere. Yeah. It could be like the, the ways that athletes represent the brand. Uh, it could like, for example, like focus more on like personal projects as opposed to like the formal race scene or um, maybe like health insurance is more common or uh, like career stipends or just anything like any interesting contract trends you're seeing in other spaces. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the benefits of working with me as an athlete manager, a manager who is not just laser focused on running. I, I work in a variety of different sports. So I can see things that are going on here and say, wow, this would be great over here uh, and vice versa. I see the, the wide variety of sports placing less of a priority on performance and results and taking more advantage of projects, uh, which is a big umbrella, umbrella label for what could be a variety of different things, but essentially content projects and telling stories and you know, producing content for you know, short and long-term media outlets. Um, I, I definitely see some sports doing it better than others. I think in running, there's a huge opportunity to show the sport in a much more exciting and riveting way. Something similar to downhill mountain biking or surfing or skateboarding. There's a lot of phenomenal runners out there that we're all very familiar with, but how many of us have really seen them kick and fly downhill and go over all this super technical, wild, slippery, sprain your ankle terrain. There's some of it out there, but I think we're, we really just have seen the tip of the iceberg. I think there's so much more that we can unveil uh, or the industry can unveil. And I think it would be really exciting if more running brands could steal some tricks from, you know, the skateboard videos out there and the action sports videos out there and, and uh, show the sport outside of competition in a really fast paced and exciting way. I think it would be great for the sport to get young people involved and I look at that as a huge opportunity for anyone, uh, runners or brands, to to kind of take advantage of that lack of content out there. I think also there's a huge opportunity for more types of races in trail running. I think there's this aspect of like, oh, 200s are really interesting, and to hear about them is very cool but visually they're not that exciting because they're 
long, grueling endurance efforts that are, you know, when it comes down to it, slow. You know, I think there's going to be a rise in shorter, much faster, much more cutthroat and close races. Uh, that can be steep. Um, and I think that's something that will bring a lot more runners into the sport too, because, mm. you know, your average road runner or your average, you know, cross country high school athlete is going to look at a hundred mile or as like, I'm not, that'll take a long time for me to train for that. But there's this, you know, shorter, more exciting race that I could go out and do right now. So I think you're going to see more and more people showing up to those types of events and more and more media covering them. They're easier to cover too. And uh, I think that also translate into very exciting content. Uh, I think you're spot on. I, uh, I can't, yeah, yeah I, I think you're spot on. There's, there's a few athletes we've had on the podcast recently that are, that, their their other sport is their main thing. So like Olympian Nordic skiers, for example, and they they think of races like the Broken Arrow Sky Race, like the 26K or the VK there as something fun they can do in their off season and then coincidentally dominate. Or like the Solomon Golden Trail Series, we're seeing some of these even Kenyan trail running teams pop up. Like On is sponsoring this team called the Milamani Runners in uh, E10, which I find absolutely fascinating. And they've found a way to make financially feasible for for them to do it and to, to make a career out of it and uh I, I think you're spot on there i think that you know for a long yeah. time I mean, a part of me wishes that the longer stuff was the trend because that's just what i happen to be the most interested in but i think you're spot on i agree with you completely like i'm so interested in the hundred milers and tortajan and you know the the massive challenges out there i love those and a huge fan of them but i see you know uh, a lot of potential in the shorter stuff and there's you can do like tons of them in one season so you can recover quickly and then go race in two weeks so their schedules are a lot uh, longer to be honest uh, and there's a lot more racing to do there's a lot more for the public to engage with and show up at so i think it's it's coming I, this has been an awesome conversation and I just have a few more questions for you. They're a little bit multifaceted. The first one, just from what you've seen in the sport as a whole, so not implicating any particular athletes or any brands, um, how, how much of a factor does age and recent injury play in the negotiation process for a new contract? So let's just say, for example, you know, you've had some great races in the last year. Maybe you've even like won a prominent European race or a prominent American race, but you're now 44 years old and three months ago, you just tore your ACL and you're in the process of a rehab. Um, do, do brands take that into pretty significant consideration when they're uh, looking at a new contract or um, are they looking at total body of work? It's tough to say again. It depends on the overall strategy of, of who you're talking with. There are some big sponsors out there that I'm aware of, everyone's aware of. It's evident 
their strategy is onboard young athletes only, almost, <laughs> almost exclusively young athletes. But they, I think it's, it's a little bit more acceptable because they generally retain them for the foreseeable future for years and years and years. And that's a great partner when it comes down to it. Uh, it's a little bit unfortunate that they don't consider uh, veterans in their sport, you could say, uh, as strongly or as seriously. <clears throat> but that's just their strategy, and that's fine. And, you know, they're allowed to do whatever they want. That's, th that's their game plan. Um, so that's okay. That's just one sponsor that I'm thinking of. As far as everybody else, it, it really depends on the athlete. Uh, and it ties back to, you know, what I was saying at the beginning of our conversation about, you know, career planning. I hate to call them backups, but you, you got to have these backups. You, you got to grow roots that are deep, that, that create a strong tree that can't be taken down so that if you tear your ACL, or if anything else bad happens, or you're just not happy with the, the, the tail end of your career, you have these, you know, other verticals of your brand, I guess you could say, that you could, you know, shift your focus towards. So um, I, I hate to use Dylan as an example again, but like he could retire tomorrow and never run a race. And he, he's, he's got a lot of options. And he's a good example exactly. for, you know, not just focusing on competition, not just focusing on racing. I have the utmost respect for the hardcore athlete that puts their head down, trains in private, does not go in Strava, shows up to races, ready to throw down and destroy their competition. I have so much respect for that athlete, but you have to acknowledge the risks that come with being that type of athlete. You, you know, should be going to get a, a master's degree in whatever else you want to do for when you retire. You need to have your, your out, your plan, your, your, your next career, uh, uh, and start preparing for it. So, it's it's tough. I mean, they're they're sponsors. They're not obligated or required to sponsor any one person in particular. If they don't see the value in sponsoring the 44-year-old dude who just tore their ACL, like, I think everyone would kind of understand that. But I would tell that person to, before you get to that point, when you're 37, you know, start creating all these other things so that when you get to the age of 44 and you do tear your ACL, you can go to a brand and say like, hey, like I might not be able to race for six months, but you know I have my website or I do you know my monthly running group in Boulder or whatever, and I'm engaged in the running community in so many other ways that I'm more valuable than the guy winning podiums who's 22 years old. Like, and they'll acknowledge that. I don't think brands struggle to recognize those opportunities. I think they're pretty smart and. They would say, hey, yeah, we should sponsor this guy. So you kind of have to 
you got to plan ahead. It's an important part of being an athlete. I think we're seeing a few brands do this in the running space. So like Tracksmith is an example, but I'll be really interested to see if more brands uh, follow this trend of, of hiring athletes into their product teams or their marketing teams or their sales teams after their career is over. Like in football and baseball, for example, you see a lot of these athletes, they'll retire and then they'll go to the coaching staff or they'll go into the front office or they'll take on like a media analysis gig. And I'm very excited to see if that becomes more sophisticated in the running world uh, in the next few years. I think that's a great long-term opportunity that athletes should keep in the back of their head as they're building these relationships with brand managers and with these sponsors that one day, you know, they might want to work at one of these companies. I think it's less likely with the massive, well-established brands, but there's so many emerging brands out there that it could happen fairly quickly. I see it happen quite often. And I think it's great for the brands. I think they bring a lot of value to a company and it takes an athlete to understand an athlete. So if they can be involved with their sponsorship programs or their communication with athletes, that's fantastic. I'd love to see that. One of the things that I want to re-highlight that you said earlier was, the, again, and we've talked about it recently too, just the importance of thinking about your independence, especially later in your career and in, in building things that outlast your athleticism. Um, when you're working with these athletes, are you also shopping around for brands that aren't directly embedded in the running or the performance world? And we've, we've called these non-endemic brands. So like your mattress companies, your, uh, your car companies, anything that's like not directly affiliated, but like the athlete could be a rep for in some way. Do, do you think about those opportunities at all? Yeah, for sure. They're very important to athletes. and they're better fits for some athletes versus others. I think it takes a little bit more of a, a marketable, likable, something with a, someone with a more a richer personality to, to get the attention of a, a non-demic sponsor. Um, especially if it's just like some random product, like a, a mattress or something like that. Um, but they're they're yeah the those are important sponsors for for any athlete or frankly for influencers who you know might be you know running a website on taking care of plants that you know want to work with athletic greens or something like that and those opportunities can be very fruitful and beneficial and they're very important to an athlete's portfolio of, of partners, but they tend to not be so interested in working with micro influencers or athletes with smaller social media following. So it generally requires mm. a either some type of badge, like being an Olympic athlete is super helpful for working with non-academic sponsors or having just, a, frankly, a massive social media following. Those are the types of athletes that generally uh, are attractive to, to them. And also just like to, in, in short, like there are, there are selfie 
friendly athletes and they're non-selfie friendly athletes, I guess is the way to put it. I don't know if that makes sense, but the athletes that enjoy, you know, just hopping on selfie mode and chatting about their day, like yeah. it's, it's right there. Like a non-endemic can look at them and say like, oh, I can work with this person. They can talk about my products. There's a wide variety of types of things we can do with them. Let's Let's talk. Uh, there are a whole group of athletes that are just very good at the, what they do. They're talented. They have a ton of respect and equates the followers, but they're not, you know, hopping on social media, talking about their day uh, once a week or, or frequently. So non-endemic sponsors look at them and, you know, they, they're hesitant. So they're a good fit for some, not such a good fit for others. Uh, I think regardless of what category an athlete falls under, we should turn over that stone and explore it. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. The last topic I want to make sure we cover before we, we go here is non-disclosure agreements. We recently had a pretty big debate in the running Twitter sphere about whether the presence of NDAs in a contract necessarily mean that an athlete, for example, is getting uh, shortchanged in the process, like not getting everything they should be. Could you maybe educate the audience on uh, what the value is for both sides, as well as some of the concerns, if they they should be validated by by people in the audience that uh, somehow they signify unfairness in the process as well? I wasn't familiar with what was going on on Twitter. Could you kind of shed some light on what the conversation was? Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and I might miss some key points here, but the basic gist of it was, I think there was a group of people that think, uh, you know, by and large, most, most athletes don't get what they're worth and in the, in the negotiation process. And when you slap an NDA on top of those contracts, it's just it's it's further proof that what was just negotiated is probably not fair because if a brand was comfortable with uh, showing off the amount of that contract, like what they paid the athlete, they wouldn't feel the need to put an NDA on there, if that makes sense. Okay, thanks for shedding light on that. There's a lot of things in these contracts that athletes don't like. I don't like the the lawyers that I speak with, the sports attorneys. They hate. The NDA is not the thing at the top of my list because in everything that I do, I help ensure that it's a fair, good deal that's mutually beneficial, that's going to work over long term. So by the time it gets to an athlete signing off on a contract, there's no real insecurities in that area. There are some other areas that I think need to be changed. Liabilities, a big one. There's contracts out there, you know, things, things go sideways the athletes are very vulnerable to large fees if you know, there are any claims to be made. 
Uh, and just the way uh, you know agreements are structured. Very, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? If I wish I had you know, the sports attorney on here to, I just you know pass <laughs> the mic to him. But the, you know there are a lot of agreements that leave an athlete exposed and vulnerable to costs and liability in general and it's not everybody but they do pop up uh, that's one thing that i think needs to be balanced and i work with athletes to help balance i see a lot of other nasty things in agreements i see conversations happen about you know plans for social media contracts sent over we own all of your content that involve our brand. Wow. Okay, we, we never talked about that. <laughs> wow. Um, there's, and it, and to, to kind of like, I, I, I kind of like have some empathy and, and understand why these types of things happen. Like, you know, there are sponsors, they have marketing departments, you know, there are legal teams, marketing departments tell, work with the legal teams to draft up contracts. Sometimes they're not even reviewed with a fine tooth comb by the market farmers. They send it to athletes. Athletes just sign off on it. They've been using this contract for years. Uh, you know, there are never any problems. Uh, and then they become standard and uh, accustomed and um, shared through through most athlete sponsorships. Uh, so there's. There's a, there's a wide range of things that I see in agreements all the time that I do not like. And I take a lot of pride in working with athletes mm. to get those agreements in a better place and to make that the new standard, make that the new normal. With that said, I fully understand that you can't change everything overnight. It's just like in politics. If you, you can't legalize weed and gay marriage and change, you know, stop, you know, coal mining, all these things in, in one fell swoop, you, it takes time. And, you know, yep. I, I recognize that. And we're, you know, just, I'm helping athletes chip away at this. And mm. I hope that more and more sponsors are, are willing and able to consider and implement these these types of changes so that there are agreements that they would be proud if they were re released publicly and that both sides feel like there's nothing to hide uh so yeah that is a that is a really important part of what i do with athletes and i take a lot of pride in doing that and it's a very uh it's a dance you know figuring out <laughs> when have we crossed the line when do we need to stop asking for changes you know we we do need to get this done they can't change everything what what can we change this year and maybe what do we revisit next year uh that's that's a, a really important conversation to be had um some sponsors are great at talking about these changes some sponsors say like, hey, we're not changing anything. Sign it or beat it. 
um, not in those words, but it does happen. Um, and sometimes it's not their fault. It's just, it's, it's the policy. And they feel comfortable saying that because, you know, for the past five years, athletes have just signed off on contracts and never said anything. You know, we're the only ones actually reading these things and actually saying, well, this shouldn't, this doesn't seem fair. Like, let's change this or let's actually say what we accurately want to do and not just sign off on some document that is a, you know, a template for you guys to use. Like, like I said before, like sit down, structure an agreement that accurately represents what you want to accomplish, what the expectations are and the obligations are and execute it. And that's, that's, if you do that, things will go well and you'll have more fun and you'll be more friendly with your sponsors. Um, but real quickly, just to go back to your initial question about the NDA, you did, none of them are, are usually mutual either. So, you know, mutual confidentiality clauses, I would like to see more of those. Athletes are doing more creative things. They're not just showing up to races and running. They have ideas, they have designs, they have, uh, intellectual property that, you know, it should be mutual. Uh, and I, generally, in those types of revision requests are well accepted. But I don't understand the, the anger that arises with, you know, either side about an NDA being there. Um, because going back to what I said before, like if you find out so how much someone is making, like so what? That doesn't really mean all that much. You don't know the entire agreement, you know, unless you have a copy of what they signed off on, which you should never have, by the way. If anyone ever sends you someone's contract, tell them to never do that again and delete it immediately. But you would need to read the entire thing to fully understand what the deal is you can't make any assumptions based on, oh, so-and-so is getting paid this much. So an NDA actually prevents those assumptions from happening, even though it doesn't seem to work all that well. People still talk, unfortunately. Um, my advocism, advocism for this area is doing what I do, working with athletes, slowly changing these agreements, uh, helping to facilitate equal and fair deals. That's how I'm, uh, you know, addressing any pay gap issue or undercompensation issue that, you know, is going on here. Uh, that's that's my focus. Um, I don't think simply taking out an NDA clause is going to help anything. It's just going to cause more confusion, more talk and controversy. And it's just bad for the sport. So I think we just need to have more open conversations with each other. I think athlete management businesses, if they operate properly in the way that I like to operate, I have to do my own horn. I think it's good for the industry and uh, that we're on a track for progressing in a positive way. And yeah, that's my two cents on it. Well, Tyler, 
I think I speak for everybody in the audience when I say we really appreciate your time, your willingness to answer the tough questions, your generosity with the tough questions. And um, I don't think we've had too many on the record conversations in our sport about uh, your role in, in the state of athlete sponsorship and stuff like that. So uh, I'm hoping that listeners out there just got a bunch of knowledge that they can take into their own personal lives, their, their negotiating processes, their welfare as, as pros. And, um, I guess, you know, we'll make sure to link to, uh, surveyor sports management in the show notes and any other relevant links. But before we go, do you have any, do you have any calls to action for the audience? Any parting thoughts? Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, as far as part or parting thoughts go, I'm not sure. I, I would just say this is a very exciting time to be in this sport and to take it all in and appreciate it every single day and look beyond simply the competition. You know, look at your sport as a way of engaging with the landscape and think about how it can progress and how you could share it, document it or film it and share it with the world and add layers of culture to it. And when it comes to competition, look at it as a celebration of talented and motivated runners coming together on a single given day in a single given place and finding out how they can push each other and what the ultimate best time on that route can be and then celebrating it and wait for the next guy behind you to come in and wish them a congratulations. I love to see that happen. I wish everyone who crossed the finish line would wait for the next guy behind them and congratulate them. And I wish it could be more of a a collective celebratory event on what humans were able to accomplish that day. I think, I think we all would kind of agree with that, but I don't, I think we kind of get lost a little bit on race day and in competition and allegiances to sponsors and our partners and stuff like that. I would love to see more collaborative film projects where it's not just head to toe, one sponsor, one brand, group of athletes. You know, what if what if brands were able to break down these barriers and collaborate with each other? I think that would be a really powerful statement. You know, inclusivity is a big topic these days, but there are these huge silos between brands that are very rigid. And I would love for the brave brands to kind of say, Hey, let's, let's be the one to, you know, take down the silo and maybe, you know, reach across the aisle and work with a competitor on something cool for the better of the sport. Um, athletes can drive those things and make them happen. Uh, they have a lot of influence in their work with sponsors. And I think they should, they should, you know, keep that in the back of their mind and, and uh, try to employ it as much as possible. Brilliant. Well, one last thing I'm, I'm sure, in fact, I know there are at least 
a few athletes listening to this episode that are probably feeling compelled to reach out to you or someone similar in the trail running world to, to kickstart a partnership. So are you, are you taking on athletes at this time or what's your current situation? Uh, I'm always open to having conversations. My desk is pretty full right now. And I work, I work hard, long days. I would love to speak with athletes. Anyone who has questions, wants to reach out, wants to chat, be more than happy to. But, you know, I can't make any promises. I'm not a magician. I can't double your salary or get you a deal in one week. Working with me is really a long-term plan, slowly coming to fruition. So if you're patient, if you have questions, I'd be more than happy to talk. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tyler. And hopefully somewhere down the line, we can uh, do some sort of round two. This was awesome. Yeah, no problem. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on.